0: Well, if you are new to Mercy Hill, just to kind of catch you up to speed, we just kind of work through books of the Bible, uh, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And just uh, we want to know what it is that God has to say to us without trying to hunt and peck all over and try to pull things out that simply we want to hear. We want to know what God has for us. And so uh, we have been working through the book of Galatians. We've only got this week and one more week left, I believe. And so we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, which begins Paul's final remarks in his letter to the churches uh, of Galatia. And uh, what's interesting is when you first read these verses, 6 through 10, it's a little bit difficult to understand how they fit with what Paul's been talking about. Uh, It it takes a a little while. You have to kind of read and reflect and and kind of absorb what's happening there, unpack it a little bit. Uh, Then you begin to see how it's possibly connected. See, Paul, at least since chapter 5, has been talking about this idea of, of liberty, Christian liberty and freedom, that we are free from being underneath the law, which simply means that you and I are no longer under the bondage of having to try to uh, earn right standing before God based on our obedience to his commands. We're delivered from that because of the gospel. We're not, we're not accepted by God based on what we do, but rather accepted by him when we place by, because we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's good news. That's the gospel. But he understood, Paul understood, that the people that would hear this gospel, this saving and being accepted by God by grace, was going to cause some confusion in the mind of those that he was trying to teach. And specifically in two areas, one is in the area of, uh, of, of serving, uh, specifically, and the other was ultimately going to be this idea of, um, uh, of um, uh, I forgot, never mind. Uh, what were, we, um, what were we talking about again? Uh, well, there's two things anyway we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, my mind actually went somewhere else, which is really a bad sign for a guy that's preaching. Uh, I was wondering if I left my iron on at home. and No. Um, <clears throat> there was two particular difficulties that he was going to be uh, specifically facing, and that was that some were going to be thinking about obedience, and others were going to struggle with this idea of works. Now, let me explain that. What I mean by that is that when Paul comes saying, hey, listen, you're saved by grace through faith alone, and you're no longer under the law, there are some people that immediately begin to think, well, then that means we don't have to obey the law anymore. That's fantastic news. And Paul very quickly just kind of shuts that whole thing down and says, no, 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 we are not free. Uh, we, God, Christ did not come to die for you to free you from obeying the law, but now you're freed up to obey it because he's regenerated you. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. He's given you a new heart, and he's placed his spirit in you to give you the power to do what it is now that you want to do. And, and a converted uh, individual, a regenerate heart wants to obey God. And, and so he, he kind of puts that to pass. Now, we look at the second question or difficulty or confusion the congregation would have, and that deals with works. Uh, when, when Paul comes and says, hey, guys, uh, you can't work your way into right standing before God. And all of these folks are trying and doing everything they can, hoping that one day when they stand before God, it will just be enough good stuff that God will ultimately accept them. And he says, it doesn't matter how good you are, you'll never be accepted based on your goodness. So you might as well not even try. And then people are going, oh, great, we don't have to work. That means I'll live a Christian of inactivity. I'm not going to try to work for God. I'm not going to try to serve him or serve other people. This is fantastic. And Paul now comes back and corrects them and says, no, 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 you're you're missing this you are free from trying to work for your salvation we are not free from working from our salvation but there's two completely different things we're not working to try to get in right with god we have been made right before god and because of that as an act of worship we serve him and we serve others it makes all the difference in the world and so what paul's going to do here is he's going to encourage people to keep working Keep working for Christ, keep giving, keep going, keep doing, keep seeking after God. Do all that you can in that. And the way that he encourages them is that he introduces in verse 7 this concept, this principle of sowing and reaping, of sowing and reaping. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to try to unpack and try to explain this biblical principle that we see from Genesis to Revelation, uh, basically what that principle is of sowing and reaping. And then what I want to do is I want to take a look at how Paul seeks to apply that to the everyday Christian life. And he applies it in three ways. So let's look at this idea, this principle of sowing and reaping. From the beginning of creation, God has installed or implemented uh, particular laws uh, within the world in which we live that are are always true. Uh, we see a list of them, uh, really given by God to um, to Noah immediately after the flood in Genesis chapter eight and verse twenty-two. Here's what he says to Noah. He says, "While the earth remains, so as long as the earth exists, he says, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease." So he's created these certain laws within the universe, within the world, and he says you can count on these. As long as there's a world, these things are going to happen. When it gets cold, it's going to get warm. And some of you said, amen, right? Uh, for, 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 he says, wherever there's going to be a summer, there's going to be followed by a winter, which the other half says, amen, right? And then there is going to be, if there's a day, there's ultimately going to be a night. You can be assured if you tell somebody, hey, I'd really love to meet you tomorrow. And, and they say, okay, great, when do you want to meet? Say, sometime tomorrow night, you can pretty much be sure that another night is going to happen, yes? Why? Because it's within God's law. Now, within all of these natural laws, uh, God gives us this other natural law, this seed time in harvest that he mentions. And what he's talking about is he's talking about sowing and reaping. What he's saying is if you want to reap a harvest... You have to sow in order to be able to reap that harvest. If you sow, you'll reap. If you don't sow, then don't expect to be able to ultimately reap. That is just a natural, God-given law that basically encompasses the world in which we live. It's the natural order by which God has given. Now, John Stott points out in his commentary that this principle is true in three ways. It's true in kind, in quality, and in quantity. So let me explain what that means. It just means that if you plant corn, you're going to get, wow, how did you know that? Uh, that's, you're, you're, so, you're so smart. That, that means it's after its kind. Nobody goes to a cornfield and goes, man, I wonder what they planted to get all that corn. Apples? Orange seeds? What did they plant? No, they, everybody knows they planted corn to get it. That's the same kind. There's also the quality, which means that if you plant quality corn, you're going to reap what? quality corn. If you plant an inferior corn, you can expect to get a superior corn. And then it's also true in this idea of quantity. Uh, That is, if you sow a little bit, you know, if you like tomatoes and you go, you know, I just like a couple tomatoes on my salad. How, how How many plants would you like me to do? Well, just one, just one little plant out there. You don't want a whole garden full of them. You just want a little to put on your salad. So the Bible says it this way. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to ultimately reap bountifully. So, so integrated is this divine law in the world in which we live. We would be foolish to think that the world in which we live would, 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 uh, would work in any other way. It would be foolish for us. But this natural law goes beyond just merely the physical. When we read the Word of God, we find out that the same idea of sowing and reaping is not only in the physical, not only in agriculture, but it's also true in the area of morality and spirituality. That is, if you sow something morally, you're going to reap something morally. If you you sow something spiritually, you're going to reap something spiritually. And it is going to be according to what? To all those things that we said. The same kind, the same quality, and the same quantity. And and so, Paul draws our attention to that particular principle that I just explained to you in verse 7. In verse 7, he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So he, he establishes that. But in the beginning he says, do not be deceived. Why? Because people are often deceived. They literally live life this way, thinking that they can live one way, but have a completely different outcome of what, how it is that they are ultimately living uh, this is why if you've ever known somebody who's just irritable all the time now don't poke the person next to you but uh, uh your spouse or whoever it is but is always miserable always angry always sowing anger towards everybody else uh, when they walk in the room everybody seems to naturally be depressed that's a gift by the way and so they walk in and then at the end of the day they come to you and say can i talk to you yeah and they're like look i just don't get it it doesn't seem like anybody likes me you're right nobody likes you because you're mean you are reaping what it is that you are sowing. Try to be nice every once in a while if you want people to be nice to you. But yet, people all the time are constantly thinking that, that yet that law that God has established that is absolutely concrete, that will remain for all time, somehow doesn't apply to them. And then he says here, he says, don't be deceived. And then he turns around and he says that God is not mocked. What does he mean by that? It just simply means this, that even though men may fool themselves, God cannot be fooled. An individual can live a life in a certain way with sinful actions, deceiving themselves into thinking that it's all going to work out for their benefit in the end. And the truth of the matter is, is God is not fooled by that. Why? Because he's the one who has placed this law into action. And one day he will bring the harvest and they will reap what it is that they sow. Now, that is true, and that can give us the heebie-jeebies by going, ooh, that's bad. But it can also encourage us to do what is right. Why? Because of what, what we sow is what we ultimately reap. And this is where he wants, he doesn't want to be on the negative, he wants to be on the positive. So this is this idea of sowing and reaping that he introduces in verse seven. Now he's gonna show how these specifically apply to different, three different areas of our lives. To our giving, to our living, and to our serving. So let's look at the first, the giving, first of all. Look at verse 6. He says in verse 6 we read, One who is taught the word... Must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, if you look at the word "taught" there uh, in, in the Greek, it's where we get our English word, uh, where we get our English word um, uh, catechism from. And uh, if you are from more traditional denominations, you know what catechism is. It's a traditional way of teaching doctrine uh, to new believers. It's usually in the format of a series of questions and answers, and actually, it's really tremendously effective. And, and, and here, here's what he's in essence saying. He says those who are in a congregation because the context is of the church because those in a congregation who are benefiting from the teaching and preaching ministry of the elders in that church and the elders of that church who make their living off the preaching and teaching and shepherding of the people that those people who are benefiting have a spiritual uh, have a spiritual command by God and responsibility to be able to share all good things uh, with that pastor in all good things he 's talking specifically about financially to be able to financially support them so that they can live to do the thing that God is called them to do, and likewise to be able to benefit those that they are teaching. And so the idea is that they were to share in all good things. So we always say that we want to be biblical, amen? So I'm going to ask the ushers to come again, and we're going to take up an offering for me. All right, this is, look, this is all very awkward. Can we just go ahead and and say that? It's awkward for you because some of you have been begging a friend to come to this church for years, and all that goes, all they want is money. They're here today. They're here today. And the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, you need to pay the preacher, right? And so you are horrified. They are horrified. I'm horrified. As uncomfortable as you are with this, I'm far more uncomfortable with this, I assure you. Um, In in fact, I was trying to figure out a way to slither out of this. Fake sickness, I don't know, do something. Hey, Ryan, preach this for me real quick uh, to be able to give it to somebody else. If it had not been for God's command through Paul that we're to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, and and the truth is, is is if I were not to, uh, if I were to take out everything that is uncomfortable to me and uncomfortable to you out of the Bible, I would have about three weeks worth of stuff to preach. That would be about it, because almost everything in the Word of God, when it begins to expose us. Uh, as sinners saved by grace and begins to try to mold us into the image of Christ, it can be really, really uncomfortable. So let's just do this. Uh, let's just take all those weird feelings and insecurities and let's just move them to the side for a minute and all of us submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, all right? So here we have this idea, uh, this principle of compensating pastors uh, within for the preaching and teaching ministry within the church. And, and we see that not only here, but we see it through other texts of scriptures. This is how you know this isn't being made up by somebody who loves money, all right? So what we do is we look at 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 12, Paul wrote, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. In other words, if you have an ox that's working for you, uh, and it's treading out grain that you're going to eat, and that's how you make your money, then you're not going to muzzle him and keep him from taking part in the very thing that's ultimately benefiting you. Does that make sense? You wouldn't do that. You would give some back in return because of the work that is done. He says, you shall, he says is it for oxen that God is concerned? And what he's getting at is he's like, no. He's, he's talking about oxen, given the illustration, but it goes back to this idea of the pastors within the church. And he says, does he speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? If others share this material claim on you, do not we even more? Interesting thing about Paul. Uh, Because of his role as a missionary and as an apostle, he would oftentimes go to different places, and he didn't want to corrupt the message by having people think that he was just out for money. So most of the time, he refused to receive any money from the people. He'd be a tent maker, uh, other other churches would support, but he would just make sure he didn't put that on anyone so nobody could question his motivation the interesting thing that Paul does is once he's there and they actually establish the church and they actually set apart elders, then he gives this command. He tells them, hey, a labor is worth his hire. He needs to come and you need, you as a body have, not you just generally, but in general, has a responsibility to be able to pay those that are working in the word and you're benefiting from that teaching. And so here's what he teaches. And then he teaches again in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now let me, moment there. The ministry is no place for lazy people. No place for lazy people. It is a place where many lazy people have found themselves to be. And they will stand before God and give an account for that. The ministry is to be great labor, especially that within the Word, to sit down, to study, to research, to to learn what the text of, of, of Scripture is saying within its immediate context, within its whole context, then to be able to take it in such a way, clearly to be able to define what it is that God is saying to us, and then be able to put it in a way, in a practical way, so that when He preaches it to those who have come to hear the Word of God, can hear it, and it will be profitable to them. It takes a great deal of work to be able to do it and to be able to do it right. And so he's talking about somebody who is laboring. There are too many pastors and too many people that churches are spiritually bankrupt because they're lazy. They're not putting the time in. The last thing you want to do is show up on a Sunday morning. last thing I would want to do is somebody and show up and go, bro, did you put that together five minutes before you came in here? It should be labor. And let me just tell you, it's so much labor, just being completely transparent, that some weeks I'm sitting there and going, man, I got to get back in there again. It's Saturday afternoon, and I got to get back there again and toil away. Listen, don't get me wrong. It is tremendously, it is a tremendous joy and privilege to be able to do what I do, but it is labor. It is work. If you are doing it to the best of your ability in submission and knowing that you're going to stand accountable before God. And so he sits there and he says, those that do this, that they are to, they each congregation, each congregate has a responsibility fi- to financially support them. Here's why. So that they don't have to go out and get three jobs, but they can focus on the task at hand, administrating the church, preaching the word of God, leading people, ministering to the needs of those people. And, and so and what he says here is he says, you're not supposed to look at this as though you're paying the pastor. Right? That's why we, you know, when the offering comes, you're not like, well, here we go. we got to pay again. Bam. Throw it in the plate. And by the way, it's, it's why we don't give the offering at the very end of the service. Because uh, you might go, bro, that was bad. Here, take some of that back. That's bad. We do it up front for everybody so that you can't be too judgmental. And so, 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 so the idea there is, he says, it's not feeling a pain. It's actually koinonia, which is fellowship. It's partnership. He says, the way that I make this whole thing go around this church and my ministry and sending people out to all corners of the world is that the body is going to take part in their responsibility of financially giving to the one who is ultimately feeding and they're benefiting from, and that's how I'm going to make this whole thing work. So let me say a couple things about this. First of all, as a pastor at Mercy Hill, I've been here for almost 15 years, which is crazy to me. I can't believe that. It only feels like, like 25, 30. And so uh, time has really flown by. And so, so 15 years, and, um, and this church from day one, even when we were running like 80 people, uh, even when, you know, like the offering was like, you know, don't cash a check, you know, that type of thing. We just, you know, that type of thing. Uh, the church has always been so faithful, always been faithful. To take care of me and my family uh, i mean i have a yacht in fernadina you ought to see this thing uh, it's amazing um, I, I don't i need to say i don't have a yacht in fernadina because somebody will go he's got a yacht in fernadina no I, I don't but they have always been faithful to take care of us um, it doesn't mean that i have the money for everything i want but it certainly means that it's everything that we need and yet they've given even over above when i what, what I, we've needed Uh, And so we're grateful for that, and we're gracious for that. You know what that tells me? That there has been very faithful people in this church to do the very thing that God has said. And every time we've brought in new staff members, uh, one of the things that I've just held strong for is we can't bring somebody on unless we are willing to be able to uh, take care of them faithfully and their families. If not, they don't need to ultimately come. Uh, We don't need them uh, with 16 different side jobs just to be able to pay the rent. We just don't need that. And so this church has been unbelievably faithful. Now, here's the difficulty with that. I, I do thank you for that, and I do praise you for that, and I want to encourage you, because that's what the Word of God teaches. But the problem is, I can't thank you face-to-face, because I don't know who you are. But believe it or not, I don't have, like, a long list, and when everybody leaves, we're going to sit there and say, let, let's see who gave what this year. <laughs> we, we, we don't do that. And let me tell you why I don't do that. Some of the other staff has to do that. The reason I don't do that that is because complete transparency, there is enough old me left to be able to treat you based on what you give or what you don't give. There's enough in me, whether I mean it or not, for me to be able to sit there and go, well, that's a big giver. Well, then I need to sidle up to them and suck up to them and try to make sure that everything is all right with them because if they leave, we're in trouble. And then for the person who gives nothing to have the attitude, go, well, that's okay. They're not supporting anyway. That is not the heart of a, of a pastor. So I don't, I don't want to know either of it. Why? Because I want to be able to love you. I want to be able to shepherd you. I want to be able to lead you. Uh, and and so, so there's the key. But here's the truth, is even though I know that we have people who are very faithful, there's bound to be people in the congregation who are not faithful in this area. They're just not faithful in tithing and giving and sowing into for spiritual things. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is really surprising to me. Because there's probably nobody. We're going to go to lunch afterwards. Amen? Hopefully, we'll beat the Methodists and we'll be all excited and we'll go and we'll be able to eat. And when we eat and you go in for a, a, a meal, none of you are sitting there going, man, I can't wait to bolt out of here after eating without paying the bill. I can't wait to do this. You don't go down and buy a car and not pay for it. You don't go whatever. But then what Paul is saying is, does it make any sense at all for you? For people to pour into your children, for you to pour in spiritually, for you to grow in Christ, and for you to be able to just sit there and go, I've got no responsibility in supporting of all that's going on. And don't think of it, look, don't think of it as supporting like one preacher or anything. That's certainly a part of it. It's just talking about the ministry of the gospel. For those who are faithful to give, give to the gospel. It's what's been happening here. It's all the missionaries that are being supported. It's the opening up a gym in Oman. It's opening up another company in India. It's doing these things to get missionaries there to be able to pay for them, keep them on the field, to be able to take the gospel where the gospel is not. You are all a part of that. But for an individual to be able to come and go, I'm just going to take everything and not give everything. Now, here's here's how we usually break this down. Somebody's going to sit there and go, well, I just can't afford it. Well, let me argue with you on this. Uh, first of all, there's, there's a woman called, you uh, have the story of the woman in the widow's might. And basically what Jesus does is, is when this woman takes these two, which re- equate to like pennies, two pennies, throws it in the coffer, and she's so poor that it's, it's a huge amount of what she has. Jesus is so overwhelmed because nobody's given greater than this particular woman. You know what he doesn't do? Hey, bro, you're poor. Don't be given. You don't need to be given here. He doesn't do that. Why? Because all have a responsibility uh, according to what it is that we've been given. Now, we believe in a sovereign God. Amen? We believe in a sovereign God, which means that God, if he's going to command us to do something, he's going to empower us and gift us to be able to do it. So if he tells us, in essence, hey, what you need is you need to be given a portion of that, and usually in the word of God, it talks about the tithe, which is about 10% of whatever it is that would come in, we end up giving away and sowing it into the ministry of the gospel. And so, I know, I know. And so... So, it's, it's getting good. Just wait. And so, um, so to, to pour into the gospel. Now, some are going to sit there and go, but we're under grace, not under law. Be very, very careful, uh, grace person, uh, because the, the call of grace is always a higher standard than what it is of law. So, if you give 10% underneath the law, then where are you to begin under grace? And so, the whole, the whole concept is, uh, uh, and here's what happens is, is oftentimes, um, we need to understand that, that this, is a part, this is an actual responsibility of you and I that we must be faithful to be able to do. It's what God uses to be able to get the job done that he, that he wants done, his will, the, p- to send people, for people to be discipled. It's just a part of that, and you're taking part in that. Now, the whole point of this is to encourage you, not to discourage you. To let you know is when you sow into this, God will bless you. Now, I want to be very careful of this because we have all these false teachers everywhere. So how are we going to, to, to encourage? Well, I remember hearing one preacher uh, who was out in Simi Valley, California. First time I heard this, I've heard other pastors do it. They get up from the pulpit and they basically tell, tell everybody, hey guys, just want to let you know, here's what we're going to do. The Bible says in the book of Malachi that you need to test God in this and see that God doesn't open up the windows for you and send down all the blessings to you. And so he says, we're so confident in the promise of God that, what we want you to do is at the end of the year, if you're not better off financially as you were in the beginning, we'll give all of your ties back in one big chunk. And people are like, man, that is awesome. So, are we going to do that? There ain't no way we're doing that. <laughs> nah, we're not going to do that. You go, why? Because you're selfish. Because of your yacht. No. Here, here's why the whole point of the purpose of testing me in the book of Malachi is not for you to put faith in a church or a man and his word that he's going to supply, but to put faith in God who says that he's going to supply. What good is it if you have no possibility from a human perspective of losing anything? It doesn't do any good at all. There's not faith, and that's not faith in Christ. You're still trying to hold on. You're still trying to make sure that you have security everywhere else except for in the person of Jesus Christ and so so what do we do well god you said does god bless yeah let me tell you a couple ways uh there are people even my own family that we feel like because we've been faithful to bless even in difficult times that god has blessed us financially now is it always that no but i know some folks in this church if you would meet them business owners and everything else that would literally sit there and it's not a it's not a a a a scripture that's used in bible they were like bro i just can't i'll give god Me and my wife have just decided to give more, and as God gives more, we give more, not just because it's a larger amount, but simply because of the percentage. We just keep giving to God, and God just keeps giving. Now, that's one way, but there's other ways that God blesses. It's not a promise that you're going to, it's not like a jackpot where you put something in, you gamble, and you're going to win every time. Hey, more money! It's not how it works. And and, and here's what I mean. Sometimes you end up, whatever it is that you're driving, that piece of junk that you're just praying dies because your wife won't let you get a new thing until it dies, it may last forever because of your faithfulness. And some of you are like, honey, stop giving right now. That thing's got to die. You know what some other things are, some other blessings? Some of the other blessings is catch this. Sometimes it's not about more money or receiving more money. You know what it is? And I think this is the greatest blessing of all. It's God giving you a heart that's content with little. See, here's what's so hard about the whole wanting thing. When people begin to get in that plane and say, well, if I give, he's going to give me more. First of all, it's in the wrong motivation. But if I get, I'm going to give more, and then I'm going to give more, and then I'm going to get more, and I keep playing this game. The problem is it never ends, and it's never truly fulfilling. The other day I was over at Walmart, and I was trying to get some wipes to clean some windows, and I, I stopped by, um, and I don't know, guys, if you're like this, my wife literally is like, you are not going shopping with me, uh, because the, the worst junk in the world is in that, in that buggy when we get done. She's like, what is this? Oh, that's Hubba Bubba. I used to have Hubba Bubba when I was a kid. We need some Hubba Bubba. And she's like, no more Hubba Bubba, right? So I'm walking by, and when I'm walking by, all of a sudden I see this Oreo display, And so I look at the Oreo display, and I don't know how much you know about Oreos, but uh, there's the regular Oreos, right? Then you have the double stuff Oreos, which is twice the amount of stuff. Then you have mega stuff Oreos. Uh, I only knew that mega stuff Oreos just a couple months ago. It changed my life, it was amazing. Uh, And then what, what stopped me is now they have most Oreos. Most. It's the most cream that any Oreo in the history of mankind will ever have. This is the most. It doesn't get any better than this. It's not regular. It's not double. It's not any. It's most. It can't get any better than this. But here's the pressure. The pressure is, it says, limited edition. (laughs) So now you got two things working. you got, this ain't never going to get better than this and I'm running out of time to enjoy it, <laughs> right? And so this is, so what I do, I do what any other disciplined preacher of the word would. I bought me one of those, and, and, I, and I took it home with me, and, and I got to be honest with you, it really wasn't all that good. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe there is something about being too much of a good thing. I'm not really sure, but I do know this. I, I learned from there that is exactly how this materialism thing plays out. It's always about the next thing, it's always about the next big thing, and if I could just have this next big thing, and if I could just have a little bit more, it's going to taste better, it's going to feel better, I'm going to be better, and here's what will happen is if you ever get it, you're going to find out that it's empty, and there's nothing there because the only thing that fulfills is a byproduct of a right relationship with Jesus Christ, that's it. So what do we sow into? Do we sow into, the fl- in, in, into just worldly things, or are we supposed to be flushing into the economy of the kingdom of God? And he even says here, he, says, he goes on and he says, one leads to corruption, one leads to eternal life. There's, there's immediate application there, and then there's eternal application. The truth is, if you spend all of your money just on yourself and on material things, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be Corrupted. It's going to ultimately be corrupted. We'll, we'll see that uh, play out in just a minute. But that's what he says, that this is how it all works out here um, in the idea of our giving. Now, very quickly, let's look at our living. Look at verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, what does he mean by sow to the flesh? I think sowing to the flesh and feeding the flesh is basically the same concept. Whatever you sow to or whatever you feed is ultimately going to grow. We have six of them at home. We just keep feeding them and they just keep growing, right? And, uh, and so this is just kind of one of those principles that are true. Uh, but what we don't want as believers in Christ is we don't want this sinful flesh with us, with all of its sinful desires and all of its sinful passions, we don't want that to grow. We want it to die. In fact, in chapter 5, he said to put the flesh to death. How do we do that? Not by feeding it. Not by sowing to it, but by starving it and by depriving it. So Paul is saying the same thing here with sowing and reaping. Uh, So if you sow sinful thoughts, if your mind is set on sinful things, if you sow sinful actions or committing sinful things, here's here's the whole sowing and reaping. What are you going to get from it? More godliness? No, more sinful thoughts and more sinful actions. Uh, Every time you and I open ourselves up, to just worldly debased things, it's going to impact you. It's going to impact me. We, we can't help it. It's a law of sowing and reaping. You can't, you can't spend uh, your time around corrupted uh, company without becoming more corrupt. Uh, you and I can't take part in sinful activity and expect that anything will come of it except for more sinful activity. That's it. And so what he says here is he says, those that sow to that flesh are going to reap corruption I think there 's a media application an ultimate application. The media application is you know as well as I do men, ladies, anything we do for sinful only destroys it doesn 't give life it doesn 't men let me let me say this to you, and maybe this is too raw i don 't know. Uh, forgive me if it is, uh, but men, um, you are fooling and deceiving yourself if you think your objective is to be a godly man a godly husband and a godly father and you spend your time in secret dark places of your room with the internet watching women that are not your wife that will not end well it will corrupt you it will corrupt the way you treat your wife you will not treat her as god has intended you to treat her you will not treat your children the way that god has called you to treat this is something you've got to get a hold of and die to because it will reap what more sin more corruption now that's the bad side now look at this what does it mean now to sow to the spirit how how do we do that well colossians 3 verses 1 through uh, 2 tells us if then we have been raised with christ seek the things that are above Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The way we, we can't just sit there and say, we're gonna take all this stuff away and and then we're gonna be fine. No, it has to be replaced because your mind always has to go somewhere. You always have to be doing something. So we replace what is godless with what is godly, which means that you and I take part in spiritual disciplines of doing what? Of reading and reflecting and memorizing and studying the word of God. This is why David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. I don't sin by simply fleeing something. I have to flee to something to the things of God. And so we must also be around, and we also need to not only be pursuing that, but we need to be around other people that are pursuing the same things, amen? Now, this doesn't mean that we're not good witnesses to the lost around us. We need to do that. But when we come to true fellowship in koinonia, we need to be with people who are trying to pursue and have the same end game and goal as we do, thinking on the same things. That means a small group. It means means being a part of uh, different ministry groups. It means corporate worship. Uh, Let me get with like-minded people as iron sharpens iron. And so it's also, it's not just thinking and learning though, it's also doing. It's sowing godly actions and not sinful actions. And what we do, what do we do? Uh, We reap, We, we sow to the Spirit, we reap to the Spirit. What's part of that reaping from the Spirit? It's the fruit of the Spirit, more love. More joy, more more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more self-control. All of those things are what come home when we sow to the flesh. Here's what I think the problem is. I think Christians deceive themselves too easily here. So many Christians, including myself, think that sometimes you can get to some point spiritually where that stuff is just not going to bother you. You can hear stuff, ah, it doesn't bother me. You can watch the, ah, uh, it just doesn't bother me. So I just watch whatever it is that I end up wanting to watch. You cannot be impacted and transformed by what it is that you're saturating yourself in. A couple years ago, I went up to um, Montana uh, with Nathan. We sponsor Nathan. Uh, He did a church revitalization up in um, Montana, and I went up there just to be able to do some training for his deacons and and elders, and and to be able to speak to the church. And I remember when I was there, uh, he he brought me around to a lot of their church members. One of the church members owned a dairy farm. Has anybody ever been to a dairy farm? Okay. So there's those who have been to a dairy farm, and then those who have seen a dairy farm on television, right? The dairy farm looks so nice, and there's a nice little sweeping, you know, hill, and there's a little red barn, and there's a little moo cow out there, and a little apple tree and everything, and, uh, and, and the whole thing just looks so good. It's because you don't have smell of vision <laughs> Because when I went into this nursery, there is such a, and I, I don't know how to describe it, there is such a rank stank in this place, it burns your eyes, it burns your throat. Your nose begins to, to, to run. It is not good. None of it is good. And here's what the amazing thing was. You're going to be shocked by this. When I left that barn, those cows didn't smell like me. Not one of them. Why? I smelled like the cow. You are what you saturate yourself with. You saturate your mind and your life and your livelihood into things of the world. You will be worldly, I promise you, whether you're a true believer in Christ or not. And here's the idea. If you are setting your minds on things above and saturating yourself in the things of the Word, you will still fall every day, trip up every day. God's grace is sufficient for that. But every day you will progressively become more like the Christ that you follow saturate yourself in him That's what it means let's do a third thing if we've got time very quickly uh, serving uh, this it just, it just keeps getting better right talked about money talked about living now we're talking about serving great all right well, let's look at this verse 9 he says in let not let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up so then, we have, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. If you're a believer for any period of time, you know that God has called us to a lifetime of service. Would you agree? whole lot. Three of you. Wonderful. This is great. Uh, a lifetime of service. Why? Because it's emulating uh, the one that we follow, our master. He says, "He says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many." So if we come and follow Him, we are not trying to be first; we're trying to be last, and we're trying to be a servant of all. Amen. This is just Scripture that the Bible is talking about. Here's the difficulty, and so so, so oh, Excuse me. Then so what we have then is that God is 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 leading us to use our gifts, our talents, and abilities, and leverage it all uh, for kingdom work. Would Would you agree? All right, I just want to make sure we're on the right page before I Jesus-juke you and make you all look stupid. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, 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 what, what do we do? Here's the problem. Paul is pointing out is the only problem with working is you can grow weary in doing it. Grow weary in doing it. You can become tired of, of going and serving and over and over again. I wrote down just a couple things here that I think might help us. Uh, ways that I think and reasons why we become weary. Sometimes uh, we're, we might be just too busy. We're just too busy. Too busy to do, I can't get to that. I would love to be able to help and I'd love to, be, to, to do whatever, but I just have too many things going on. And the truth is, if you were to parse it all out, what you would find is you are too busy, I am too busy, of doing things that really ultimately don't matter uh, at the expense of the things that do have eternal value. And, and you sit there and go, that, that's not true. This is not true for me. God is either sovereign or he's not. If he commands you to serve Then he has given you enough hours in the day to be able to use your gifts to be able to serve If you are not in the giving or the serving Then it doesn't mean that god ripped you off It means that you are a poor steward of what god has entrusted you with Number two We might do things out of motivation of legalism This is fitting for the book of galatians isn't it thinking that god will love us more if we do more for him That is exhausting to be able to sit back and not be able to say, man, I'm accepted because of what Christ has done instead of me. We may understand that for salvation, but what do we do? What's the, what, what's the implication for us? We're always going back to that workspace salvation again. Going, hey, well, if I don't do this, then, then, then God's not gonna love me. If I don't do this, then God, God's not gonna bless me. And that will just exhaust you, amen? Here, here's number three. We might do things out of the wrong motivation, serving for our own glory and not the glory of God. This becomes really evident when we begin to use words like, just nobody appreciates me, all this. And maybe you don't even say it, but you feel it. I do so much work around here. Nobody ever mentions anything. Nobody even says any thank you. They don't do anything. It, look, I understand it. I, I've done it myself. I've been in the flesh. I'm, uh, I, at times I'm living for my glory, and I'm not living for the glory of God. When I'm living for the glory of God, I can serve despite what's happening around me in that case. Whether there's a thank you or not, because it's, it's the well-done, good, and faithful servant that I'm looking for. Not for the applause of man. And the same ought to be for you. Uh, we might have, here, here, here's another reason, we might have been hurt by a church that we once were a part of. And there's all kinds of reasons why you could be hurt. You could be hurt by the leadership. You'd be hurt by people in the church. And, 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 and you can leave, and, and you, from the church that you came from, you could have been one of the most active people, constantly working, constantly doing stuff. And then maybe you've come, and maybe you're here today, and you're sitting back, and you're saying, I just don't have it in me right now, man. I just need a place to chill. Just need a place to to heal i ju- I just need some time I just don't have it in me to go back to work. So sometimes it can be based on hurt. And it seems like we have that quite a bit uh, with folks that come to the church. They, they're, they're like, man, we used to lead this, we used to lead all these activities, and now we're coming, and, and we just need a place to be able to refresh. Let, let me explain something so we don't sound overly godly or boastful in ourselves. Uh, there are people who have left this church that's doing this somewhere else at some other church, going, hey, I got hurt at a church, I just need somewhere to sit. So it, same thing's happening. Don't want to sound overly spiritual. But we know that it happens. And because of that hurt, people just stop working altogether. Uh, But with all of this, all these are reasons why people grow weary of serving and even stop serving, stop using their gifts and abilities. And and, and they all have reasons why. But Paul here uh, gives us some insight. I think he has something specifically in mind, and I think it relates to sowing and reaping. Uh, What happens is, and this is what gets me more than any of the things that I've mentioned so far, and that is serving and working, but not seeing enough of the harvest to keep me going and encourage me. It means that you and I oftentimes, we're serving and we're teaching and we're trying to do stuff, but we're not seeing the change that we so desperately want to see in the lives around us. Uh, we might be sharing the gospel like crazy with people, but we're just not seeing as many people come to faith in Christ. And so there's a part of us that gets to the point and go, you know, what's really the point? But what Paul points out here. And the idea is, is the fact with sowing and reaping is there's sowing and there's reaping and then there's always this time in between. You don't plant it and seed and all of a sudden it just, it just pops up. That's what's been so bad with the church oftentimes in the way that they've even tried to minister and share the gospel. They're looking for immediate response. And praise God, if the gospel's preached, right, brother? If the gospel's preached and somebody responds immediately, God can save people like this. You know what's been my experience oftentimes? Is they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, they hear the gospel, and through that faithfulness, and then one day, God takes that gospel, drives it into their heart, grants them faith, they believe, and they follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so what happens is we don't want to come up with crummy, cheap ways of trying to get somebody to sign a card, join a church, and, and, and be a member. We want the Holy Spirit to work. But what I found it takes is perseverance in that obedience, understanding that it's going to come. And so Paul sits back, and he says, he says when we sow, there is so there, there's always this period. He says, if you are faithful and you don't stop, here's the promise. In due season, we will reap. In due season, you will reap. So whether it's ministering to your kids or your family or being a witness or serving inside of the church, you don't see anything and he wants us to keep going, not stopping, keep giving, keep living, keep working. Why? If we just persevere to the end, we'll ultimately see that harvest. I know that there are some wonderful Christians here who have been hurt at other churches and, and you've come and you're visiting here and that's great and you're still like, bro, I don't know about that dude. I mean, you're still thinking that. You're like, yeah, um, any day he's breaking out snake and strychnine. I know it. Uh, he's crazy. Something's not right. And, 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 you're, and you're thinking, and you have been hurt, and my, my heart goes out for you. And so, what we want to do is we do want to tell you come, sit, heal, rest, but don't take too long. Don't take too long. See, what he says here is in, in the very end, if, if you notice, he says, he, says, so then, he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of God. Yeah, we're supposed to do good for our neighbors, for everybody else, for those who are lost, to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to them, see what the gospel is, see what grace is, with no strings attached, but at the same time, he says the priority is what? Is to use your gifts within the church for God's people, edifying building them up and encouraging them. And then he sits back and, and, and notice this, though. Look at the first part. So then, as we have opportunity. So, just as opportunities come up, that's when you and I are supposed to meet those needs, serve, bear one another's burdens. That's what we do. But here's another thing there's a, there's a bigger picture of that. And I think it's what Paul and, or what, what Jesus spoke of in John chapter 9, verse 4. He said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is, sti- wait, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Rest recover, heal up, but no, you have a limited amount of time in this world to invest in eternity. Very little time when the days and the months and the years go by of complete inactivity. It is times where no harvest will come in. Why? Because that is the truth of the law of the harvest, sowing and reaping. Nothing will come about from us being idle. I want to read this one last thing for you. Uh, this is uh, by John Stott in his book. He says, he says this, he says, And none of these fears, meaning, meaning the giving, the living, and the serving, uh, he, he, says there, he says, can God be mocked? And each of the same principle invariably operates. And since we cannot fool God, we are fools if we try to fool ourselves. We must neither ignore uh, 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 or resist this law. He's talking about the law of the harvest, the sowing, the reaping. But accept it and cooperate with it. We must have the good sense to allow it to govern our lives. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. We must expect to reap what we sow. Therefore, if we want to reap a good harvest, we must sow and keep sowing good seed. Then in due time, we will reap. What a wonderful promise. But Let me say this. All of this doing and work, though, Aren't you glad it is not something we're doing under the compulsion of trying to be made right from God, but rather out of the joy and worship of our lives to God because he has saved us by grace through faith alone. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. We praise you. We thank you for the time that we've had. Now, dear Jesus, I pray as we respond that we will actually respond. That you'll shake us up. God, some of us are faithful in some of those things, not all of those things. Some are faithful in all, but God, we need to give you glory and honor. Some are faithful in none, and they need to be faithful to you. Lord, let them be encouraged to sow and to reap. We love you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. I'm gonna be down here. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. whatever's on your heart but we're just gonna have a time i want you to reflect on the truth i want you to spend time in prayer uh, navigating and allowing the holy spirit to speak through you with with what's been said to do business with god all right as we do that